So there's, I, I mean, these, these readings are, are super good. They're, they're so good. Um, okay, so obviously there's a connection here. The, the first reading is uncomfortable. I wrote about it in my bulletin column, actually, because I'm not going to preach about it that much. Um, so you can read about the, the discomfort of what it is. But, but in a nutshell, God never intended Abraham to offer his son as a sacrifice. God works outside of time so he can see ahead of time how Abraham was going to respond in faith. And, and, and so he knew that Abraham would respond. And so he also knew that he would stop his son. It's not like God suddenly changed his mind. It's, it's that he wanted Abraham to put all of his faith in God, all of his faith, like 100% of his trust in God. And so he, he gave him this test, a really hard test and an uncomfortable test to be sure. Um, but, but he knew what he was doing. God, is, he knew what he was up to. So there's that. But, but what, I, what I find uh, just great, of course, is all the, the different connections. Okay, so take your son, your only one, the, whom you love, your only beloved son, and take him to the land of Moriah. Moriah is actually the same mountain that the temple in Jerusalem was built upon. The temple is what? It is the place of sacrifice. So Abraham is told to bring his son to, to the land of Moriah to sacrifice him there. And he's, not, he's withheld from sacrificing his son, but ultimately he, he sees a ram caught in, by its horns in the thicket and he sacrifices that. Later on, you know, maybe like a thousand years later, this temple is built, which is the place of sacrifice. And then a thousand years later, Jesus is actually sacrificed in that same region. So like, that's, that's a cool thing that God initially initiates someone to go and take his son as a sacrifice and he stops him, he prevents him from offering his son as a sacrifice so that down the road, as sacrifices have continued to be offered in this same place, finally, it could be who? It could be God who sacrifices his only beloved son on, on this very mountain, this, this mountain of sacrifice, because this is ultimately what is pleasing to God. And that, that's, that's ultimately like the thing here about the, the transfiguration. So every year... The second Sunday of Lent has a gospel that is, that is the story of the transfiguration. The transfiguration is, is recorded in three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And every year, last year we heard it from the gospel of Matthew. This year we hear, hear it from Mark. Next year we'll hear it from Luke. And then we'll repeat the process over again so that every year on the second Sunday of Lent, we are, we are what? We are called to attention to understand that this man who will die on the cross that this man who will be sacrificed on this same mountain is what? Is not just another man, but, but it is God himself. This is, this is what we call a theophany. A theophany. Theo means God, and uh, phany, uh, epiphanos, or phanos means revelation. So a revelation of God. So in other words, God is going out of his way to reveal to Jesus, or to reveal to the people around Jesus that Jesus is God himself, that the one who will sacrifice his life for our life is no one less than God. Like this incredible thing. And what, what caught my attention more than anything was, was when it says this, that uh, when Peter gives his response, let us build three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then Mark tells us, he hardly knew what to say. They were so terrified. They were terrified. They were afraid. In fact, if you look at all three of the Gospels, it, it will tell you, it, they, all three of those, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, make mention of the reality that when Jesus is revealed to them to be God, that they are afraid of this reality. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, it tells us that they fell on their faces. 
Like they, they lowered themselves all the way to the ground because they recognized that we're in the presence of Almighty God right now, and this is, this is something that is, that is truly terrifying. In fact, it makes me remember, or, or uh, yeah, it reminds me of, of other scenes in the, the, the Bible of theophanies, other scenes where God is revealed to people. I think actually of, of Moses. When Moses goes up on the mountain, which we'll hear about that next week uh, when he's given the Ten Commandments, but when Moses goes up on the mountain, it says that this cloud of God's presence descends on the mountain in the same way that in our gospel passage, this cloud came casting a shadow over them. So this cloud goes down on the mountain when, when Moses goes up, and it says that there's, there's thunder and lightning and, and uh, trumpet blast, you know, like this, this wild scene where Moses is up on the mountain and the people down below are terrified because they see the power of God before them. Like, like the, the idea of God is a really nice idea. Of course, it's a really pleasant thing of like, okay, this is great that, that there's a God who created us. But then when I see that God, that's the kind of thing that is actually terrifying because I stand before that God as a rebellious man, as a rebellious people. There's another scene in the book of Isaiah when Isaiah the prophet is called by God. He's given a vision in Isaiah chapter six. He's given a vision where he sees in the temple, he goes into this heavenly temple and in the temple he sees seated on a throne high and lifted up. He sees this, this figure, this being seated on the throne and it says his, the train of his garments, it covered the entire temple and there were angels like uh, floating or, or uh, flying next to him and they would just cry out one after the other, holy, 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 the very song that we sing at mass right before the consecration, singing this song, announcing the holiness of God. And what's Isaiah's response? Isaiah's response, woe is me. I'm lost because I, I'm a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips. In other words, he's, he has this understanding of like, I stand before the all holy and all powerful God and I am a sinner, which means what? It means I am rebellious against him. Sin, right? When, when I know what God wants me to do and I choose to do something anyway that is different than that. And so to stand before that all-powerful God who gives commands to me and tells me that these commandments are going to bring me life, and then I rebel against him, that's a terrifying thing. That's, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about. In the book of Revelation, all the way in the, the last book of the Bible, John, the one who writes the book of Revelation, John, one of the apostles of Jesus, John, the beloved disciple, the one like, that, that we could in some ways say is like closest to Jesus, he has this vision of heaven and he hears a voice and he turns around and he ultimately sees Jesus, except he sees Jesus glorified. And what's his response? It says, I fell down as though dead because I am in the presence of the all holy God. Later on in the book of Revelation chapter four, that, that image from Isaiah, it like repeats itself, except now there are more people around this throne where, where again, the God of the universe is seated on his throne. And it says that all these people were around the throne singing his praises. And whenever they would sing the praises, the elders, the, the people that were closest to the throne, it says they would fall down on their faces in worship. That's, that's the kind of thing that being in the presence of the all holy God is meant to do for us. It's the, it's the kind of response, ultimately, that the Bible reveals is the most fitting response. To fall down 
in awe and in fear because we are a rebellious people. And so to come before the almighty God, recognizing that we have blatantly sinned against him, whether that's me individually or we as a group, whatever it is, we have sinned blatantly against him. Him who gives us commandments that are going to lead to life. This, this, like, this, this is like, he wants the best for us and we insist on shoving it back in his face. And so when I come into his presence, when he is revealed to me, I, I must fall down begging for mercy. This, this in fact, is, is why we kneel. This is why we genuflect when we come into a church. I was, I was talking to, I think it was the Faith Formation students on Wednesday, or if, if not them, then some other people, and the, re, the, the insight just came to me of like, I, I, I bet many of us, most of us, Maybe, maybe not most, but many of us don't actually understand why we're genuflecting. Like when you come into a church, before you get into your pew and you genuflect, you go down on a knee. What are you doing? You're cutting yourself down because you're recognizing that you're in the presence of the all-holy God. Again, if, if, like, if the Catholic doctrine of the Eucharist is true, which is that when the priest says the prayers over the bread and the wine, and he says the words that Jesus said at the Last Supper, that the bread and the wine change entirely into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God himself. So they change entirely. So there's no more bread and there's no more wine. But it is entirely God, even though it still looks and smells and tastes and feels like bread and wine, it is entirely the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. If that's true, that means that every time we come into a church, every time we come to Mass, a Catholic Mass, a Catholic church, that means we are coming into the presence of the all-holy God. And like I like I understand it. it, it might not look like it, it might not seem like it, but that's what we're doing. And so what do we do? That's the kind of thing that it, it must lead us to fall to our knees, to just simply be like, oh my God, I am in your presence right now, and I'm a sinful man, and we are a sinful people, and so I must fall down in worship, begging for mercy, recognizing how great you are. And as I do so, what do I want to do? Well, again, every time there's one of these theophanies in the Bible, either where Jesus reveals more and more of who he is or where God reveals in the Old Testament who he is, he reveals himself to people. What happens? Well, of course, like I said, there's reverence and awe. People fall down. They prostrate themselves. They, 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 they bow down in worship. They fall to their knees or onto their faces. But in addition to that, they also let all of their attention be focused on God. 100% of their attention is on the Lord who is before them, who has revealed himself to be almighty and all-powerful and all-knowing. No distractions. They allow themselves to sit in silent wonder and awe and amazement at the God who they are before in this moment. And these, this is what the Bible reveals is the most fitting response. They're speechless, right? Where it's, it's like Peter. It's like he hardly knew what to say because, because he was just so overcome by the moment. And, and so he just, he blurts out something, but, but it's like, I, I don't know what else to say. That's, that's the fitting response. And, and, 
as, as I think about this, and as, as I, of course, I talk about this and um, prepare for this, I just can't help but wonder, and this is, is where maybe like the right hook comes in. Is this our response? Is that your response when you come into a church? When you come to Mass? Is that my response? And I, I think about my life, and like I said, I, I tell you this, I have a chapel in my house with the Blessed Sacrament in it, and I know that, I mean, I go and pray in there every day, but I know that many times I'm, I'm just really casual. Many times I let my, my mind wander, or sometimes I'll openly choose distractions. And I know that they're, they're actually, un, embarrassingly, there are times during Mass when I'm praying the prayers or I'm reading the readings, and my mind is somewhere else. I don't allow my mind to be exclusively focused on the incredible mystery before me. And now, to kind of turn it to you, I don't know what goes on inside of your mind, inside of your heart, but I also know what I see and what I hear. And, and what I see a lot of times is people failing to acknowledge the Lord when they come into the church or when they leave the church. And again, that might apply to you, it might not apply to you. And I, I know that, that many of us are a little elderly and so maybe we can't genuflect and, and you know, that's okay. But you can bow, right? And if you can genuflect, sometimes I see more like something that looks more like a curtsy than, than a genuflection, you know? It's like, are, are we a people who truly understand whose presence we're coming before? And then again, I, I, I know that sometimes, we, maybe before Mass, but maybe especially after Mass, there, there can be a temptation to treat the church more like a social hall than like a place of prayer. That's part of why last week I, I asked you, and, and many of you did it, I'm, I'm glad about that. That's why last week I asked you after Mass is done to kneel down and say a prayer for somebody who needs prayers because that's, that seems like the most fitting thing to do after Mass. And like I said, you don't have to do that. If you want, if you want to leave and, and if you need to leave, by all means. But but even then, to do so quietly, because you're in the presence and we're in the presence of Almighty God. And, and I know that, that I don't maybe always set the best example. Sometimes I can, I can rush through. Sometimes I can, I can you know, genuflect without really paying attention to, to whose presence I'm acknowledging. And, and I know that maybe other priests have done the same thing or, or other things like that. And so like, I apologize for that if, if your priests, if your pastors haven't always set the best example. But at the same time, maybe today can be an opportunity for all of us to begin in a fresh way and just say, okay, I, I come into the presence of Almighty God and I want my attention to be focused on Him. I want, I want my heart to be aware of who it is that is inside that tabernacle, of who it is that comes down on this altar. I want to be aware of that because I don't, want to, I don't want to miss a moment with Jesus. I don't want to miss a moment with God's only beloved son who will be the perfect sacrifice for my sins, for my rebellious heart, for our rebellious hearts. I don't want to miss that. And as I acknowledge that and I cry out for him, cry out for mercy to him, then, then what? I can, I can actually receive his gaze back upon me. And I can, I can hear what Paul says. He who did not spare his own son, but handed him over for us all, 
how will he not also give us everything else along with him? How will he not also give us whatever we need to keep our attention fixed on him? How will he not also give us whatever we need to to turn away from our sinful ways, from from our other selves, from our old man or old woman, so that we can be completely renewed and completely absorbed in these incredible mysteries? That's that's, that's the goal. That's the kind of thing that we're shooting for. And, And may the Lord grant us that as we turn to him in reverence and awe, in silence and wonder, in fear and trembling even, may he grant us all of these graces and so many more.